Thanks for listening to the podcast and hopefully for subscribing. My name is Ian Castleberry. I'm a writer, editor, and podcaster. If you've been a regular listener to the podcast, follow me on social media at Ian Cass, that's I-A-N-C-A-S-S on Twitter and Facebook, or are just generally familiar with my work and what I've been doing for years online. You know that I'm also a regular contributor to my local sports talk radio station, Asheville's Wise Sports Radio. I appear twice weekly to talk about baseball news and headlines, and once more for NFL talk. Those segments have been part of each podcast ever since I relaunched this thing in September, usually with the three segments broken up over two podcasts. The second of those podcasts usually has two radio spots, which can take up nearly 30 minutes. That's probably enough for one podcast, unless something timely pops up. Like when Joker hit theaters, I wanted to make sure I recorded a review before the weekend so people could listen to it before or after seeing the movie. Anyway, this preamble or explanation probably wasn't necessary. Ultimately, it's a long way of saying that this podcast will be made up of two of those radio segments. Only two this week. The Wise Guys show took Monday off, so there was no radio spot then. I still should have had a podcast out earlier in the week, but my schedule and routine changed up a little bit with me getting a new writing job. I'll explain more on the next podcast, set to be released very shortly after this one, But I'm writing again for Awful Announcing, covering sports media, and that'll take up the early part of most days. Clearly, though, I need to get more organized and diligent, which this week's log-jammed podcast schedule demonstrates. Okay, let's get it rolling. Up first is Wednesday's baseball segment. This one went a bit longer than it normally would since Pat Ryan and I didn't chat on Monday. We covered the New York Yankees apparently moving on from shortstop Didi Gregorius, the top free agents available as of next week, some early offseason decisions by the Atlanta Braves, and the modern era Hall of Fame ballot, which revisits some arguably deserving players who weren't voted in by the Baseball Writers Association of America. All right, let's go to the wise lines and uh, catch up with our all-everything. He's our uh, baseball guy. He's also our uh, NFL guy on Thursdays. But today's Wednesday, so we get to talk baseball with Ian Casaberry. Of course, Ian's appearance is presented by Andrea and Greg and the great folks at Vistanet Telecommunications. Ian Casaberry, how are you, lad? I'm doing great. How are you, Pat? Hey, really good, man. We we've got some some good baseball chatter uh, to to get to. So let's yeah. let's let's, uh, let's roll. Let's start with the Yankees. A little surprised on them passing on a qualifying offer to uh, close to eighteen million dollars uh, for shortstop Dito uh, Gregorius. Uh, you know he's been more than solid for New York, and and some may say when when uh, guys like you know Giancarlo Stanton were out, uh, Gregorius was the guy that really kind of held the team together. So so why did the Yanks decide to move on from him? Well, he did miss nearly half the season after he had Tommy John surgery on his right elbow. Didn't hit very well, uh, 238, but he's still hit 16 home runs. And I think uh, the power has been uh, the most surprising uh, part for Didi Gregorius uh, since joining the Yankees. I think what this really comes down to is the Yankees don't want to pay him $18 million. It's possible they could re-sign him for less, or even if it's a longer contract, you know, like a a lesser uh, average annual value of the contract. 
But they may be ready to move on at shortstop, too. They could put a Glaber Torres at shortstop, play DJ LeMahieu at second base, or there's a possibility of a blockbuster move the Yankees might want to make here. The Indians are looking probably at trading uh, Francisco Lindor, their all-star shortstop. Uh, he's under team control for two more seasons. So if Cleveland wants to trade him, they're going to get maximum value this offseason because any team uh, that gets him will have him for two seasons, making 16, uh, nearly $17 million uh, next year. So he'll cost a lot in prospects, but the Yankees farm system is pretty stocked. I think that's a deal Brian Cashman could make, or they, they could go in other directions, like maybe signing uh, Jose Abreu as a first baseman, uh, whatever they don't spend on Didi Gregorius, they could use there. So uh, a little bit surprising, as you said, uh, Gregorius is 29 years old, has been very productive, but uh, I think uh, the Yankees feel that they could get the same or better production, especially if they're going to look at going after somebody like Lindor in uh, the next season or two. Do you How, how busy do you expect the Yanks to be uh, this offseason, Ian? Oh, I think we're going to hear their names uh, with a lot of free agents, especially since starting pitching is really a strength of this free agent class. Um, and and th- that's kind of the view is that the Yankees, uh, you know, d- didn't get past the Astros because of, of their starting pitching, uh, which, which failed them in the postseason. So I think the Yankees will be active. They haven't been the Yankees we've been used to ever since Hal Steinbrenner uh, took control of the team. Uh, they haven't been spending free agent dollars. But seeing how uh, successful the Nationals were uh, with Max Scherzer and Patrick Corbin, uh, the Astros uh, with Garrett Cole, three pitchers that uh, the Yankees could have gone after, I I think uh, they will be quite active in free agency. I kind of miss the days of Steinbrenner. <laughs> I used to complain about it in real time, but you know now you look back on it like, man, the Yankees used to be like the. I mean, it was just twenty four seven, three sixty five, the most interesting, entertaining um, uh, franchise in Major League Baseball. Uh, Ian Cassaberry is with the Wise Guys. We're talking Major League Baseball headlines presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. Ian, free agency begins Monday at five o'clock. Uh, who are some of the big names out there, and what teams could be landing them? The big names, uh, we just saw three of them in the World Series. Uh, depending on whether your preference uh, is a pitcher, uh, you know, like the New York Yankees, or if you're looking for a, a position player uh, like the Chicago Cubs might be, uh, Garrett Cole is probably the top free agent, certainly among pitchers, coming off an outstanding postseason, uh, 4-1, and 172 ERA. But overall, during the regular season, Cole was outstanding. Uh, you know, he could be uh, the American League Cy Young Award winner. 20 and 5 record, 250 ERA, 326 strikeouts in 212 innings. But if a position player is the greater need, Anthony Rendon, uh, who had an outstanding season for the Washington Nationals, batted 319, 34 home runs, 44 doubles, also had an outstanding postseason where he batted 328 with uh, three home runs, 15 RBI, and 11 walks. Mm. And then uh, over the weekend, the big news out of baseball was that Steven Strasburg opted out of uh, the remaining four years of his contract. So he's looking uh, to get a raise over the uh, $100 million he was set to be due uh, on his contract. So right there, Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, Steven Strasburg, those are the top three names of what's a, a pretty good free agent class going into the offseason. Yeah, Strasburg, did that surprise you, Ian, that uh, he opted out uh, with the with the Nets? Maybe looking at, okay, I won the World Series, but yeah, how's next year looking? Uh, the timing of it was certainly curious. You know, this news came out right after the Nets uh, yeah. had their parade celebration. Just wasted uh, no time. 
But, um, you know, if it's a question of a player uh, trying to get more money and uh, Strasburg's uh, bargaining power is never going to be higher after, uh, you know, going 5-0 and during the postseason, uh, two outstanding starts during the World Series. You know, he very well could stay with the Nationals, but he's just going to get a significant raise, uh, more years on his contract uh, because of it. So uh, I guess I'm not surprised for a player of Strasburg's caliber to opt out. Uh, Ian Castleberry, with the wise guys, lots of major league goodies uh, to get to. We move on. This, this was a bit of a surprising, and I, I really want to get your thoughts on Carlos Beltran, uh, hired by the Mets. All right, he's going to be their new manager, replacing Mickey Calloway, who, by the way, had no managing experience. But actually, you know, when you think about it, when, when, when the dust settled, you know, the Mets had a winning record despite a lot of drama and issues. I thought at the end of the day, you could look at Calloway and go, you know, he didn't do a bad job despite. But Beltram played with the team among, um, among many others. He was well-traveled, but well-liked and respected as well. But he, he has no managerial experience, at least on the major league level. So what was his appeal for Mets brass? I mean, he's certainly uh, familiar to the Mets, playing for them uh, from 2005 to uh, 2011. Uh, very popular with Mets fans, although some may never forgive him for uh, watching that called third strike in the uh, 2006 NLCS from Adam Wainwright and losing uh, to the Cardinals, who went on to the World Series. Familiarity with New York and the Mets front office. Uh, but you mentioned Mickey Calloway, and I think Part of Mickey Calloway, uh, the problems that he had as Mets manager are sort of uh, the Mets looking for uh, the opposite. Uh, Beltran was always very good with the media uh, as a player, and I think that that's one of the reasons, believe it or not, that I think they really like Beltran. They think uh, he'll handle the New York media better than Calloway, uh, who you might remember famously got uh, into a dust-up. Uh, uh, with a couple of reporters, or well, more than once, but uh, definitely a reporter from Chicago uh, uh, when the Cubs were in town. Um, he's bilingual, so I think that they, uh, the Mets view that very importantly as a communicator in the clubhouse. He was a clubhouse leader as a player, so uh, I think uh, they're looking at uh, his communication skills, his rapport with the players. He's not too far removed uh, from his playing days. So, you know, we keep seeing this uh, in baseball, it seems. You know, Alex Cora, Aaron Boone, uh, uh, David Ross uh, getting uh, the Cubs job. That managerial experience doesn't matter as much as it once did. Uh, Alex Cora may be a little different example because uh, he was a coach uh, on the Astros staff. But uh, the Mets will surely look to stock up that staff, give him a very experienced bench coach, and uh, hopefully that, that covers up for uh, whatever uh, uh, inexperience uh, he may have in terms of game strategy and so forth. You know, that's what I wanted to talk about with you, with you Ian, and just to follow up on that. You know, that seems to be the big thing these days is, you know, hey, get the, get the popular guy, the guy that's a smart baseball guy when he was a player, uh, but no managerial experience. So does it seem like to, to – uh, front office, you know, brass, that that's not as important anymore, that what matters is how well you relate to the players. And if you put the right people around you, like you just mentioned, at, at the bench coaching position, that maybe that's just not as, that maybe that's being overrated in terms of, well, how much managerial experience do you really have? And it, it, does that bother you at all? It puzzles me. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if I would say it bothers me. It's interesting, and you can't really argue with uh, some of the, the results right. we've seen. Uh, from managers like this, uh, I mean, it's it's definitely easy to throw up your hands and wonder, you know, what is the team doing? 
hiring a guy with no experience. But, uh, you know, the days of a guy uh, really being in control of the whole team from the dugout, you know, or, yeah, you give me the players, but I run the team on the field. I mean, those days are pretty much over. It's There's so much more of an emphasis on communication. You know, the front office tends to set uh, the lineups and strategy and defensive alignments and so forth. And the managers just uh, making sure that uh, the decisions of the front office are being properly communicated with the players and making them happy. And then, uh, you know, analytics determine uh, so much of strategy. And then, like you said, uh, an experienced fence coach uh, and coaching staff helps uh, with a lot of those decisions that, uh, you know, that you would think an inexperienced manager uh, may struggle with. Yeah, this is this is going to be. Uh, and I like Carlos Beltran. I mean, certainly he was a popular guy, uh, very good player back in his day. But you know, it didn't work out with Mickey Calloway. And, and I'm wondering, I'm just kind of surprised that maybe the Mets didn't go with someone maybe with a little more experience and a proven track record, especially in a media market that is the number one in number one media market in the world. And it's interesting, Ian, that right they're looking at a lot of the factors you just mentioned. Or some of the factors, like you know, he he works well with the media. It, it has nothing to do with your your baseball mindset. He's a smart guy. He's been playing the game for a long time. And again, uh, if he surrounds himself with the right people, more experienced people around him, who's to say Carlos Beltran can't make a difference in New York? Um, Ian, what do you make of the Braves signing Nick Markakis, but passing on Julio Tehran? I was a little surprised the Braves brought back Nick Markakis. Uh, because he uh, struggled with injuries, but still a, a very solid player batting uh, 285. Uh, he, he did have uh, 25 doubles, nine home runs. A one-year, $4 million deal. Actually, it's a $6 million deal because they paid a $2 million buyout from uh, his previous contract. So both Nick Marquez and Tyler Flowers were brought back on, on one-year, $4 million deals that are actually kind of $6 million deals. But uh, Marquez, I think they're looking at him to platoon uh, with Adam Duvall in one of the outfield spots. Uh, the Braves, I think, looking just for some depth uh, at that position, depending on uh, what they get from Ender Inciarte. Is he going to play uh, center field? You know, Is Austin Riley going to play in the outfield? Or will he be at third base, depending on what happens uh, with Josh Donaldson in free agency? So a little bit surprised they brought back Marcakis. Yeah, it's Julio been- Tehran. Yeah, I think ahead. it's a little more of a surprise because he's just 28 years old, you know, a, a young pitcher. But you look at his stats, uh, 10 wins, 11 losses, a 3-8-1 ERA, uh, pretty good numbers. But he was left off the postseason roster. And really, I think this is just a numbers game. The Braves, uh, they passed on uh, his $12 million club option, giving him a $1 million buyout instead. But uh, the Braves are stuck with starting pitching. Uh, Mike Sirach, uh, Mike Fultonevich, Max Fried. You have guys even in the minors like a Tuke Tucson, a Patrick Largo, uh, Huascar Noah. So I think they saw Julio Tehran, especially uh, for the price of $12 million, uh, as an expendable piece. Gotcha. And what about uh, Donaldson? What, what kind of uh, effort will the Braves make to hang on to him? I think they're going to make a pretty strong effort uh, to re-sign him. Uh, he had a they good should. season, a good clubhouse leader, uh, a veteran that uh, still a relatively young Braves team needs. Um, I think it's going to depend on what he gets uh, in the open market. He's not the top third baseman on the market. That's Anthony Rendon. So that could help the Braves, uh, you know, unless they want to shoot higher and go for somebody Ren- for, like Rendon, which would be interesting since he's uh, on the division rival Nationals. But uh, I-, I would expect, uh, depending on what the, the other, uh, other teams show interest in him, 
I expect the Braves uh, to resign Josh Donaldson. All right, we'll follow it closely. Ian Castleberry presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. Um, Ian, former Yankee greats Thurman Munson, Don Mattingly had a group of players being considered for the Hall of Fame by the Modern Baseball Era Committee. So um, uh, not only just them, but others uh, as well. Wh- which players do you think get the nod from the committee? Yeah, nine players on uh, the modern era ballot. This probably won't surprise anybody who knows knows me or has listened to me, but uh, I, I'm i circling uh, Lou Whitaker, sweet Lou, ah. uh, on this ballot. Um, and, and I'm not saying, you know, you look at his numbers and he's not he doesn't necessarily jump out as a Hall of Famer, but if you look at him compared to other Hall of Fame second basemen, his numbers uh, rate and compare very favorably. Uh, 244 home runs, nearly 2,400 hits, 143 stolen bases uh, over 19 seasons. So Lou Whitaker uh, jumps out uh, at me. Uh, I think it, it was pretty shocking that he didn't make it past the first year on the ballot. Right. He didn't get Agreed. enough votes uh, to qualify. Of course, Harold Baines getting uh, elected last year changes everything. And you have to look at players, especially like Dale Murphy, 398 home runs, uh, nearly 1,300 RBI, 161 stolen bases. Uh, Dale Murphy certainly stands out uh, on this ballot. Uh, Dwight Evans has nearly 2,500 hits, nearly 400 home runs. Steve Garvey, not only did uh, you know he, he populate uh, California yeah. uh, with a hunk of Steve Garvey as your dad, right? <laughs> the father of our country. Uh, exactly. 2,600 hits, 272 home runs. I mean, he... A lot of these guys seem like Hall of Very Good, Steve Garvey, Don Mattingly, Dwight Evans. Uh, but again, you know, uh, Harold Baines getting elected changes everything. You say, well, if Harold Baines is in, you look at uh, uh, Dwight Evans' uh, numbers, Dale Murphy's numbers, and say, well, they should be in uh, as well. Thurman Munson is an interesting case. Uh, only 11 seasons, of course, uh, his life uh, tragically cut short. But if you look at him among catchers, his numbers a 292 average, uh, nearly 1,600 hits, 113 home runs, do compare pretty favorably. But if, if I had to point at, say, three people on this modern era ballot, Dale Murphy, Lou Whitaker, uh, I think Dave Parker also has a very good resume, and he's not a player, but Marvin Miller, I think, deserves to be elected uh, by the Modern Era Committee. I mean, he basically uh, ushered in the era of free agency. Yeah. Base- he changed the sport. He, uh, nobody uh, played a role like Marvin Miller uh, in, in the history of baseball, and I think he deserves to be recognized for that. Man, I'd love to see um, Murph get in. I think this is the way to go for him. Lou Whitaker, I wouldn't argue with. I saw him play with Trammell. I mean, if Trammell's in, what, where's Lou Whitaker? Uh, agreed there. And, and, and I, I saw Thurman Munson, I, you know, back in the day growing up, I mean, that was the 70s was the decade of the catcher. I mean, you had Johnny Bench, you had Thurman Munson, you had Carlton Fisk, you had Bob Boone. Um, you know, catchers today, I mean, they, they don't have the impact that, especially offensively and to a degree defensively, that these, you know, the catchers, these great catchers in the 70s, of which Thurman Munson was a part of that. I don't think there was a more competitive player on the field any time than Thurman Munson. I think he needs to get into the hall because he was such a unique player and a hard-nosed player and a player that was greatly respected. And when he stepped to the plate, um, you knew something just might happen. I'd love to see him get in, but we will wait and see. There's That's a tough choice. I would not want to be on that committee, Ian. Uh, I think you sure. can make a case for all nine players yeah. on there, certainly. Hey, man, you're the best. We'll swing back around to you tomorrow. We're getting together some 
some um, uh, NFL questions for you uh, for uh, your appearance right here, same time tomorrow, 4 o'clock, Ian. Thanks for the baseball knowledge as always, my friend. All right, I'll be ready. Thanks, Pat. You got it. Thank you, Ian. That's Ian Castleberry uh, with the Wise Guys. And, of course, uh, Ian's appearance is presented by Vistanet Telecommunications, your Asheville B2B phone company. Yeah, I admitted my Detroit Tigers fan bias there, which Pat already knew about. But I do think Lou Whitaker deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, considering his numbers rate very well against others at his position. I haven't been to Cooperstown to visit the Baseball Hall of Fame yet, but when I do, I'd love to see three of the players I grew up loving, Alan Trammell, Jack Morris, and Lou Whitaker, honored as the best in the game. Let's switch to football. Most of the top headlines going into week 10 of the NFL season came from off-the-field developments. Could the Los Angeles Chargers be moving to London? Has Cam Newton played his last game for the Carolina Panthers? Does Chicago Bears quarterback Mitchell Trubisky really ask for TVs at the team headquarters to be turned from ESPN and Fox Sports because pundits were ripping on him too much? Wow. Uh, let's get the thoughts of Ian Castleberry. Uh, of course, our NFL Gold Nuggets feature with Ian presented uh, by David Creaseman and DC Creaseman Jewelers. Ian Antonio Brown saying he'll never, he doesn't want to play in the NFL again. We've heard this story before, but what do you make of this latest outburst from a guy that just seems to be just heading down the rabbit hole? You know, this story is making me increasingly sad because I, I don't think we've seen a case of self-destructive behavior in such a short time result in just you know Antonio Brown not being able to play football 31 years old uh, he was viewed as you know arguably the top receiver in the league just signed an extension was due a big payday you figured he was gonna just shine uh, for the Oakland Raiders playing for John Gruden having Derek Carr throw to him even when uh, he was released you know he lands with the New England Patriots you figure that that could be a really good situation for him playing in a good environment uh, having Tom Brady throwing to him, uh, you know, the Patriots coaching staff and philosophy uh, setting him straight, but he just continues to to trip over himself, shoot himself in the foot, and statements like this, I mean, are just baffling because it obviously is not helpful. It's not going to help his cause at all. He says he's not going to play uh, in the NFL again. I think he's, he's pretty much assured that. <laughs> With statements like this, so uh, I guess get ready for Antonio Brown to be uh, the shining star of the XFL next year. Oh my! Well, there we go. There's a way to put it right there. Maybe we'll give him like some cool name, like he hate me. Um, of course, with Antonio, probably like he hate everyone uh, for sure. Everyone hate me. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> he's, he's making he's making Terrell Owens look like look like the poster child for politeness. I, mean, I know just... Terrell actually looks normal back in his crazy days. Now you look at what Antonio Brown is doing, man, just taking it next level. Reality show next for Antonio. Reality show's coming. Oh my God, no! Don't say that. Um, let's do. Uh, let's head across the pond. Maybe uh, LA owner, LA Chargers owner, excuse me, uh, Dean Spanos emphatically shot down a report from the Athletic saying the team is considering moving to London. And Ian, this is the same guy who said the Chargers would never leave San Diego. They're in LA now, right? Okay, just checking on that. But with that background, do you believe Spanos? Because you know he sounded uber peeved by the suggestion. We're leaving out lots of uh, cuss words uh, in his response. Hard to believe anything Dean Spano says, uh, especially in light of what you just pointed out, him insisting that the Chargers would stay in San Diego and then uh, soon thereafter move to L.A. What was Spano's exact quote? I know he can't say it on the radio. Total F and BS. 
which uh, had to thrill the fellow NFL owners. The emphatic nature of that announcement maybe says that Spanos is serious in saying that uh, the Chargers are going to stay in L.A., but of course he also has business reasons, business interests, you know, or letting the L.A. market, letting the L.A. fans know that they don't intend to move because if they are going to move, who's going to buy tickets to that team? And, and uh, selling tickets is already a problem for the Chargers. I mean, they are selling out, you know, this 29,000 yeah. seat soccer stadium the that they is. play in, but 50%, maybe even 75% of the fans are for the road team. So yeah, they sell out and they generate ticket revenue because they charge such a premium on those seats. But also, you know, bigger picture, what this speaks to is the the NFL's desire uh, or initiative to try and move a, a team uh, to London. You know, we, we these uh, London series games uh, uh, have been very successful. Uh, you know, four games uh, this season. Uh, whoever plays uh, in London has that 9.30 uh, a.m. Eastern time slot for the NFL, and whichever uh, TV network carries that game has that time slot uh, all to itself. But logistically, I don't think it makes sense for the Chargers to be the team that moves to London. Being a West Coast team, you're you're looking at having to realign somehow. Maybe I know there was talk about maybe moving the the Houston Texans to the AFC West uh, and the Chargers uh, uh, to the South. But I think it makes a, a lot more sense if the team is going to move to London is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've already kind of made themselves London's team by how often they've played over there. Shad Khan owns a soccer team, a Fulham FC out there, and uh, the travel is less of an issue from Jacksonville, assuming that the Jaguars would still maintain a, a U.S. base in uh, Jacksonville while operating in London also. The travel would be less from Jacksonville to London. Yeah, man. And, and, uh, let's keep in mind, if you've seen the attendance of Jacksonville just last Sunday, you could see the whole upper deck in one area was completely just empty. Um, but man, that's, that's putting a lot on the players expecting them to fly across the pond. Yeah. Put the Chargers in the, in the uh, AFC East, East, East. Like, how about the AFC Far East? Can we, can we create a division there while you're at it? Um, as Ian Castleberry joining the wise guys, you know, we chatted with Stanley in the last hour, Ian, uh, about Cam Newton. He's, he's on IR. He's out for the, uh, the year could be back for the playoffs if the Panthers make. It, but um, we asked Stan this question. Want to bring it to you? What's your feel on Cam's future in Charlotte? I think it looks like it's over. Uh, I mean, I, I still, you know, if all things are equal and Cam's healthy, I still think you know he's a better quarterback than Kyle Allen. Maybe better than any other quarterback they could pick up. But you know, you're looking at a nineteen million dollar uh, salary, which uh, you know is like a top ten quarterback salary. Versus if they cut him, they'd have the $2 million uh, in debt cap. They would save uh, $19 million. And then there's the question of whether or not Cam is healthy. Uh, you know, would he be a backup? Does he, you know, is he able to be the same kind of quarterback that he was before uh, if he can't run, if he has to stay strictly uh, a pocket passer? And then, of course, um, you know, the big thing is that the Panthers are 5-1 and one with Kyle Allen at quarterback. They... Cam Newton might be a better quarterback, certainly a more talented athlete, but the Panthers sure seem to be playing better with Kyle Allen uh, at quarterback. And then you look at the fact that that 19 million that could go a long way, spread out to uh, for the Panthers to uh, you know issue uh, extensions for Christian McCaffrey, uh, Shaq Thompson's deal is coming up, James Bradbury, 
there's a handful of other players who uh, are, are up for extensions as well. That $19 million would go a long way toward uh, paying off a lot of those deals. Yeah, we'll see where that goes. Cam Newton right now uh, just working on getting that foot healed. And, boy, if he gets on the free agent market, there's going to be a ton of teams uh, that will be looking uh, for, for, for him. As uh, Ian Castleberry uh, is joining the Wise Guys, presented by D.C. Creaseman Jewelers. All right, Ian, being a Buffalo Bills fan like I am, gonna, uh, I'm going to ask a Buffalo Bills question here. Are the Bills really overrated at 6-2? I know their schedule's not great, but they are 6-2. and two. This is a team that only won six games last year. They were pretty awful early last year. Had a guy retire at halftime. I think it's amazing the way Sean McDonald, I mean, Sean McDermott, and, and uh, Billy and, and Brandon Bean have kind of rebuilt that franchise in just in, in less than a year to even talk about going to the playoffs because they were not good last year. I think the Bills are legitimate, especially that defense. You know, until the, the New England Patriots uh, lost to the Baltimore Ravens this past weekend, uh, the team that gave the Patriots uh, the most difficulty was the Buffalo Bills. And they have talent on offense as well. Uh, you know, they're deep at wide receiver. Uh, maybe they need a new running back. Uh, you know, Frank Gore can't play forever. And maybe also uh, still some questions as to whether Josh Allen is just a really good athlete who's playing quarterback or if he can actually be uh, a talented quarterback. But I think the Bills are for real, certainly, uh, you know, in that AFC East, uh, you know, with Miami and the Jets in the same division, that that gives uh, the Patriots and Bills uh, two other teams uh, to beat up on throughout the year. And then in the AFC, you know, other than uh, obviously the Patriots have that 8-1 and record, Baltimore looks like uh, they're a strong contender as well. Who do you put in to that slot after that? You know, Houston leads uh, the AFC South. Uh, the Colts seem like uh, they are are a contender, but then they go out and play. Sometimes they look inconsistent. The Chiefs. It depends on what you know whether or not Patrick Mahomes uh, is going to be healthy. We'll get an idea of that. Uh, or a better idea of that this weekend. So I think the way everything lines up, the Bills are are in an excellent spot for a playoff run. Mike, you a little excited? Yeah. I am. I am indeed. Uh, I'm, I'm cautious about the, like I said, the early season schedule. But but they got to play the games. You have to go out and win it, and um, you know, and and they've won it and stuff. And people kind of get on them a little bit for having a tough time with Miami in, at home a couple weeks ago, but. The Dolphins, I know they're not yeah. good, but they but they do play hard, and they've you know I mean they beat the Jets, they uh, they played uh, Dallas tough for a half and stuff. Their, their defense isn't horrible and stuff. So you, you still have to go out and play the game and stuff. And um, anyway, but I, again, considering where they were a year ago, like I said, when I they lost to the Ravens the first game of the year, forty-seven to three, and then they and then they and then they got beat by the Chargers at home in the second game of the season, and they and Vernon and. Um, and uh, the, you know, one of their players had retired at half. And I thought, oh my God, this is. And I thought they did a great job winning six games all of last year. Thought they did a good job. And uh, you know, the second year quarterback, I think they're doing a good job. The schedule gets a little tougher here in the second half of the season, but uh, but I'm but definitely optimistic. Their best start since 1993, which was the last year they went to the Super Bowl. So we're so we're not quite don't quite have our Super Bowl plans yet. But uh, but hopefully get a chance in the playoffs, uh, a chance to chance to get in the playoffs and and, and maybe do some damage. Wow, there, there you go, Ian. Mike. Gore sneaking in a Buffalo Bills question. How about that, man? You handled that. I like that. Yeah, I'm looking at their schedule now. I mean, their next three games, uh, Browns, Dolphins, Broncos, you figure they got a good shot in those three games. But then, yeah, it gets much tougher, as Mike points out, uh, you know, Cowboys, Ravens, Patriots uh, on the bill there uh, in in their last five games. But 
They're already six and two, nine, ten wins probably gets into the playoffs uh, out of the AFC. I, I, I think the Bills are certainly capable of that. Uh, wow, there you go, Mike. Okay, I feel much better. I feel you much should. better now. Uh, <laughs> change the subjects. Just change the subjects totally here. Are you a fan of the NFL re- reviewing pass interference calls? Um, this was supposed to be a a big game changer, and it really hasn't, has it? No, yeah, I mean it seemed problematic that you were going to uh, review what looked to be a judgment call. And then, of course, what prompted this was such a bad uh, call on, on a obvious pass interference penalty that wasn't called. And you think you see something that bad, it would have to be overturned. But in theory, it, it, it seems like a good idea. But in practice, it has not been, and mostly because those calls have just not been overturned. And it's to the point where coaches aren't even bothering because they know that the, the call is not going to be overturned. They're going to lose a timeout, and it's just not worth the trouble. Coaches have uh, have challenged 53 uh, defensive pass interference calls. Only five of them have been reversed. That's a 9% success rate. So uh, pass interference can supposedly be reviewed, uh, but it's not being overturned. And, uh, you know, I think we all three of us, and certainly uh, many listeners, have been watching games and thinking, why don't the coaches challenge that call? I mean, that seems to be obvious pass interference. But then it, get, it goes to New York, and Al Riveron, who's in charge of officiating, just doesn't seem interested in overturning these pass interference calls. So the penalty or the review is there, but it's not, it's not being utilized uh, to any great effect. Wow, good breakdown there. Ian Castleberry with the Wise Guys. I know it's just another delay of game, if you will, with the NFL. And, you know, this is just, you know, classic overreaction. I think we all overreacted with that play, uh, in, you know, with the, the Saints and the Rams. But, you know, this happens from time to time. And I'm wondering maybe if the NFL may be overcorrected on this and maybe need to pull back in just a little bit. We'll wait and see. That's why they meet every year in the offseason with the Rules Committee. Um, Ian, let's um, move on. What other Week 10 storylines are you following this week? Well, I mentioned earlier uh, Patrick Mahomes returning to action uh, this week. Is he coming back too soon? The Kansas City Chiefs, their offensive line uh, isn't great. So are, are they putting Mahomes in danger if he can't move around? I mean, that's such a successful part of his game is that he can move around, uh, either you know just run for yardage for first downs or just uh, move around in the pocket uh, waiting till a guy gets open or, or, or clearing the pass rush. But uh, how is Mahomes going to look this week? I, I think that's going to be an important game to watch or a development to watch. Uh, the Chiefs play the Titans uh, this week, and the Titans got a pretty good pass rush. So uh, Patrick Mahomes, very possible he could look bad in his first game back. Another storyline I think is worth keeping an eye on is uh, Mahomes' former teammate Kareem Hunt, now eligible to play for the Cleveland Browns. And the Browns insist that they're going to work him in and, and split carries with Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt's a great talent, but is it worth uh, taking carries away from Nick Chubb? He is clearly their best player. I, I mean, I, for all the dumping we do on Freddie Kitchens, the Cleveland Browns head coach, the biggest problem is that he doesn't seem to realize that he should build his offense around Nick Chubb, not Baker Mayfield. And if you know, they're taking carries away from Nick Chubb and uh, giving the ball to Kareem Hunt, who hasn't played in quite some time, that could be uh, even more problematic for what's already been a disastrous season for the Cleveland Browns. Wow. Uh, yeah, jeez. Yeah, everyone's like, ah, oh, Kareem Hunt, wait, this is going to be great. Is it going to come back, you know, after the suspension? The Browns are going to be on a roll. And 
Oh, wait a minute. It didn't quite work out that way. Okay. Um, all right, Mitch Trubisky. Playing Mike's Bills this week, by the oh, way. Right, yeah. very, very interesting game. And the Browns, who are 2-6, and six, are favored over the 6-2 and two Bills. Wow. Okay. Look at that. You know, I, I, I've already selected our NFL uh, games to pick tomorrow, and I, I seriously considered the Browns and the, and the Bills and the Browns. But then I saw the Giants and the Jets, and I had to go with Suckball. So I, yeah, I'll probably catch you know what from the guys tomorrow on that. But, uh, but Ian, the struggle is real for Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky. Uh, th- his struggles are frustrating him and certainly Bears fans and to the point where he's asked that the TVs in Hallis Hall are, be- are to be put on uh, mute so he doesn't hear the criticism. That's a bit weak minded for a starting NFL quarterback. Ian, how long do you think Matt Nagy is going to stick with Mitch? Cause I know, um, Bears fans right at this point are ready to jump ship. This looks so weak on the part of Mitch Trubisky. Uh, I mean, how do you feel about those shows anyway? I mean, I think, you know, turning to uh, uh, HGTV or something like that might be better in general rather than hearing uh, Stephen A. Smith, you know, screaming at you uh, all the time. But, uh, yeah, it uh, it certainly shows that uh, Mitch Trubisky uh, is hearing the criticism and, and is pretty thin-skinned. Uh, I think uh, Matt Nagy has to consider Moving on from Mr. Trubisky, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, they didn't already make these for a strong backup, you know, maybe getting somebody like Andy Dalton uh, for the rest of this season. But I think the Bears, you know, we talked about Cam Newton earlier. I think the Bears are going to be very interested in what the Carolina Panthers do mm-hmm. with Cam Newton, because uh, if he is released by the Panthers, boy, uh, that would be a great fit with the Chicago Bears, Cam Newton, and Matt Nagy's offense. Oh, boy. We'll see where that goes. And uh, finally tonight, Michael, it's Thursday night football. Ready to roll on that. Chargers at Oakland. What do you say there, Ian? Who do you like? I like the Chargers big here. Uh, they're favored by one and a half, I believe. This could be uh, a pounding, actually, uh, by the Chargers. Uh, the Raiders' defense is terrible. Uh, they're actually last in the league in pass defense. Philip Rivers is uh, rubbing his hands, uh, licking his chops, whatever you want to say. He can't wait to face that uh, Oakland defense. And, and the Chargers that have been playing well, so have the Raiders. But I think, uh, you know, a, a playoff spot uh, is still in play for the Chargers. Uh, Anthony Lynn arguably uh, coaching for his job. I think uh, the Chargers, uh, this is uh, virtually a must win for them. I expect them to, to win and win pretty big tonight. Oh. Look at that, Michael. Chargers looked awful good the other night against the against the Packers, especially defensively. Yeah, uh, you know they had to settle for some. You know, if they had got some touchdowns or instead of field goals, that could have been a lot worse than it was. And it was impressive on top of that that they actually won on the road against the Packers. That's right, because it was more because there's a lot more Green Bay fans than there were Chargers fans. That was a nice road win for the Chargers there. Oh my goodness! Uh, Ian, They're the only NFL team that plays 16 road games a year. Yeah, so, pretty yeah. much. It sure as hell feels like it, man. For them, I bet. Hey, buddy, great job as always. Thank you so much. Take a break. We'll look forward to getting up with you on Monday for more baseball free agency news. Okay, looking forward to it. Great talking to you guys. Thank always, you. you too, buddy. Thanks, Ian. Wow, look at that. Ian Castleberry with the Wise Guys. Michael, you ask him a question. He's got it lined up and ready to go. Nice. You like you like what you heard about the Bills? Yes, I do. It makes me feel a little better. So there you go. They still got to go out and win it. But uh, if, he, if Ian feels like they got a shot, then um, I'm, I'll sleep a little better tonight. That Thursday night football prediction wasn't looking so good as I record this. The Raiders' pass defense looks just fine when the opposing quarterback throws the ball right to their defensive backs. Phillip Rivers, what are you doing out there, man? All right, that's the podcast. Please subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, 
Overcast, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. We have a Facebook page eagerly awaiting a like and some feedback from you at facebook.com slash the podcast. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-S. You can also tell us what you think at thepodcast at gmail.com and, and we're on Twitter and Instagram at the podcast. We'll have another episode posted shortly after this one. No, that's not ideal, but it's just how this week ended up working out. And I really want to get some pop culture stuff out there. Talking about HBO's Watchmen and the new Terminator movie, Terminator Dark Fate. It'll cause a bit of a logjam on your podcast app, but I hope you listen through. We'll get back on the schedule I prefer next week, or I'll really try hard to do so anyway. Until then, do your best to push through these days when it gets dark after 5 p.m. How often have you felt like it was 2 a.m. when it was really like 7 p.m. this week? Ugh. Why do we do this back and forth with daylight saving time? Oh, and when did it become daylight saving? Wasn't it always savings? I swear I never heard otherwise until recently, when a bunch of commenters tried to correct me on social media. I know. Never read the comments. Never read the mentions. Although I will for the podcasts. Really. Go ahead and leave one.